Good evening, everyone. Uh, it's a great privilege to be with you uh, this evening. Um, it's such a great task to, to actually preach a sermon, uh, not just the work that you invest in it, um, but in the study, but also it's a, a such a great task because it's something that is from God and you are responsible for being faithful to what he's saying or what he wants to, wants to say. Um, so I confess to you that I felt the weight of preparing this sermon. It's a great responsibility. But um, um, I rejoice in God because I know what we're going to learn today is from, from him. Um, so what about if we just pray tonight and ask for God's help as I do that? Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you because uh, your word is alive. And actually, it's available for us. Um, we think about all those brothers and sisters that cannot read um, a proper Bible. Um, and thank you, Father, because we have that opportunity. And just pray that tonight you'll be with us, not just with me as I deliver your message from your word, but also that with my brothers and sisters, that you can open their hearts and their minds to receive what you have to say. And uh, knowing that this task is only can be done um, by your Holy Spirit. And in, in you we depend on. And we pray all these things in your, in your name. Amen. Now, the other day I was reading an article about the most powerful passports in the world. And in this article, um, they list the rank of the countries uh, um, actually that can enter to other countries or other nations without any visa or requirements. And well, there was a lot of surprises over there. And I remember um, just reading this, I was just thinking, oh, this is, uh, this is very interesting. Like I didn't really know that all these countries were gonna be at least in the top 10. So um, now I, um, what do you think is the top, at least the top three of these countries. Well, I'll tell you. Singapore is first, which is very surprising. I didn't really expect that. Uh, with 194 destinations where Singaporeans can enter without any requirements of visa, uh, then you have South Korea. Uh, with 191 destinations uh, that they can enter without any requirements. And where do you think Australia is placed? Of course, you cannot answer to me, but, <laughs> but I will tell you. <laughs> um, it's it's placed in uh, number six, actually, tied with the uh, United States. Now, Colombia, for example, is the, is the uh, country that I was born in. Uh, it's in place 37. If you, and if you go down, you'll find all the countries, and it depends on this. Uh, actually, this ranking changes every, every year. Um, yeah, depending on how the country is doing with, uh, uh, in terms of reputation or financial um, matters uh, or politics. And I really found interesting uh, how your country of birth or citizenship um, actually will determine how all the territories will uh, consider you or even accept you. Um, so I was thinking how can I use this as an illustration? Because that's the worst part of making a sermon for me, I guess. 
trying to find a good illustrations or that, but um, I remember having this uh, thought of what if I die tonight? And um, we all know like, okay, um, we have this image of the two angels receiving you and saying, okay, how, well, okay are you, I'm going to be able to get into paradise or heaven. Um, and uh, they will say, oh, well, depend on what you do or what you, what you say. Or, but the reality is that in God's word, we can find that God himself is going to be there. He's not the angels. We're going to face God. And there is some requirements that he um, required for us to get into heaven or not. And that's what we have in our minds when we talk about the kingdom of God, right? Uh, it's something that is present because it's a spiritual world, but also it's something that is in the future, as we know one day we're going to face God. So each government has um, have their own laws and requirements to let people uh, enter the land, the same as God's kingdom. And this evening we're going to read those requirements to enter God's kingdom. And here in these passages, Jesus the King will be answering these questions. For example, what is required to enter God's kingdom? Who are um, those that will enter the kingdom of God? And to whom does the kingdom of God belong to? Now, before I start, or before we start, I would like uh, to ask you to have your Bible open, I, please. Uh, um, so, because I will refer to it a lot, and it will be good also for you to consider what I'm saying that is uh, according to that. And also, I would like to give you a little bit of context because I know this is not, this is not a series, so we haven't really read uh, Mark for a long time, or at least until chapter 10. Uh, so let's start with verse 1. Jesus is coming from the north of Israel uh, to Jerusalem in Judea. And many people came to see him, and he taught them as, he, as was his custom. Now the Gospel of Mark um, does something very interesting. It emphasizes in the geography of Jesus' ministry, specifically to support ideas. Uh, for example, we know that at this stage, Jesus knows his time has come to do what will be the greatest work of his ministry, die on the cross as a sacrifice for sinners, right? Coming from the north of Israel um, shows that he can see Jerusalem, right? He's coming from the north, so he's approaching Jerusalem. And I think this, well, the, uh, the ones that could be in, in the morning, uh, it was something very interesting because Ben was saying that in Luke, Luke takes 10 chapters to talk about this journey, Jesus going to Jerusalem. In Mark, only takes from chapter um, 8 to 13. So we're quite in the middle of it. Um, and uh, so he's coming from, Jerusalem, uh, from the north of Israel, and we can see that he's, he knows he's going to die. He knows his time is going to end soon. So how we do know this as well, if we look to verse 33 and 34. Let's have a look at the, the verse 33 and 34. This is, in fact, the third time he says openly to, this, to his disciples that he's going to suffer and die. And from chapter 8 to 13, as I already mentioned, is way more, Jesus is more, way more explicit and serious about 
teaching about the kingdom of God to his disciples. Now he's going to leave them. So he is intentional in teaching the openly about God's kingdom. And so let, let's come to these passages. Imagine the scene. Jesus has become famous, right? That's what we read in verse 1. And in chapters 1 to 10, we see he has performed many miracles and, and, and wonders. And because of this, people are drawn to him. Now, we can imagine Jesus' fame has completely extended throughout all the country and even outside the country. Um, from chapter 1 to chapter 10, uh, many teachings, miracles, and wonders have happened. And as usual, people come to see him. That's natural. Then is when we come to our passages tonight, and to unpack this as well, I would like to, um, to say it this way. In these verses, we can see that there are actions and reactions. You, you, will, you will see it. Um, and so let's look to those actions and reactions. Um, the first point is the children in the kingdom of God, which comes from verse 13 to verse 16. Now, Jesus is with his, with his disciples, and suddenly people start to bring their children to him. And the disciples start to rebuke them, right? And the disciples um, also, well, are doing this, Jesus become very indignant. And when Jesus saw that, he just naturally become upset. That's actually the word is indignant. Very strong word. And he says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Notice that the action and reactions that take place in this situation. People want Jesus to bless the, the kids, right? And a good question will be, why? I'll answer this question in a moment. But let me ask you another question, maybe. Why do Catholics want the Pope to bless their children? Or why do people bring their children to see the queen, for example? Or another example would be, oh, the prime minister is in town. Um, why will I bring my children to see the prime minister? It's a common cultural phenomenon to bring your children to see someone of great importance. Um, these parents obviously saw that Jesus was an important man. And in fact, in the context of the Gospel of Mark, uh, they thought Jesus was at least a, a, a man of God, a prophet, sometimes rightly called a messiah. And so this, this is why people desire to have Jesus to bless their children. So there's the action, right? They bring the children, and then we got a reaction. The disciples rebuked them. Why? Again, that's a very important question. We don't know why, really. The Bible doesn't explain that. But perhaps they were trying to protect Jesus from the crowds, right? He was always surrounded by the crowds. Or perhaps they didn't want, to, uh, uh, want him to be bothered. Because he's Jesus, you know? Um, and the disciples, sometimes they did like this bodyguard thing. Uh, so they didn't want them to, to come to, to him and bother. Uh, but we don't know why they rebuked the children. Uh, what we do, do know is this. Look with me to the first part of verse 14. What is the text saying about Jesus' reaction? 
He was indignant, upset, wasn't he? Was he indignant with the children and their parents or the people that brought them? Or was he indignant towards his disciples? The disciples. Then listen to what Jesus said to them. So this is a reaction to what is just happening, right? That's why Jesus is going to say what he's going to say. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. And friends, Jesus' stone was stern. He was not happy with them. And here then, Jesus answered an important question. Who is part of God's kingdom? Or who will get into the kingdom of God? And friends, it belongs to the children. As simple as that. It's so simple, yet shocking to the disciples. Let me expand a little bit more about this. Children in that time were not important. Uh, they didn't have any authority or autonomy. They had not a status in society. So Jesus' words in verse 14 and 15 are inconceivable for the disciples and the crowds, for example, or the people at, at that time. So Jesus' words um, um, just were inconceivable. And let me ask you a question. What could a child bring to Jesus? Riches? Fame? Knowledge? Status? In fact, Luke verse 13 again. The children were brought to Jesus. The children didn't come to Jesus by themselves. And that is a clear sign of dependency. And this is what I believe Jesus meant. The children are dependent and humble. They have nothing to offer but a genuine heart, dependent heart, a humble and needy heart. Now, I need to clarify, this is very important, um, that the Bible is not, doesn't, is, is not saying that it's about being childish, but being childlike. It is not a matter of having a childish, childish mind, but childlike heart. And this, dear friends, is what the Lord Jesus is talking about. To such people who are childlike, independence, humility, and genuine desire for God, that is who the kingdom of God belongs to. Now, Jesus' Jesus's reaction in saying these words to the disciples is in response to the negative um, reaction to the lovely of heart, the children, uh, to the disciples. Those are actually the ones who we should see as the ones to be in the kingdom of God. Verse 15. Jesus is a little bit more on this. Truly I said to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now notice that the kingdom of God is something to be, that is something that is given. And we are told that it's something to be received. And that is to be received as a child will receive it. And friends, what can children bring to Jesus? And I'll be honest with you, this is uh, a most wonderful and beautiful truth for people like me, perhaps like you. Um, that see his own life and, and have nothing to offer to Jesus. No treasures, no merits, um, no fame, no boast, but a lowly, 
and dependent heart to Jesus. Those who come to Jesus like these children, coming with nothing in their hands, coming with a heart of faith, are the ones who will receive the kingdom. Now in verse 16, have a look at verse 16 with me. Uh, it tells us that Jesus took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on, on them. And, and friends, we, we don't know anything else about these children, uh, but I can assure you something. These children were truly blessed. Now, can you see what Jesus is doing here so in, in verse uh, 16? He's illustrating through the act of taking these children into his arms and blessing them as to being welcome into the kingdom of God. To come to Jesus like these children and be taken in by Jesus' arms and be blessed by him, that is to enter God's kingdom. Now, let us ask ourselves, am I dependently and humbly coming to Jesus? Is my heart the type of heart that recognizes the loneliness and the deep desire or need to come to Jesus and receive his kingdom? If it is, Jesus with open arms will take you in and you will be blessed. And I'll tell you, you will be blessed indeed. Isn't that amazing? But the disciples didn't get it. Um, in fact, if you look at the previous verses from verse 1 to 12, let's have a look a little bit. You don't have to read it, but uh, the disciples didn't rebuke the Pharisees, for example. Have a look at verse 2. Even though the Pharisees came to test Jesus. And actually, Jesus called the Pharisees many times as the ones with hardened hearts. Verse 5. Not, we don't see the disciples rebuking the, the Pharisees, for example, in the text. But they rebuke the children. The disciples' view on the kingdom of God was distorted and blinded by the worldly view. And Jesus used that opportunity to show them that those who they are rejecting are actually the ones who are entering the kingdom of God. Now we come to verses 17 to 23, and this is my second point. So now we have seen who are those that are entering the kingdom of God, those that are childlike, right? But now we're going to see a very interesting um, situation, and it is the rich young man in the kingdom of God. Jesus was setting out on his journey, and I do believe these events are happening one after the other. Mark is very fast. He's going just at the same time. Um, things happening just right away. Um, and it says, the Bible says that a man came to, kneel, uh, came to him, to Jesus, kneeling down and asked ask him um, about um, how can he inherit eternal life. As we, we can read um, in the next verses, 17. Uh, this man called Jesus a good teacher, and Jesus asked him why. He addressed the question by replying to him, Jesus, to the young man, with the, with the commandments. And this young man said that he has kept them all since his youth, right? Then Jesus looked at him and loved him and replied to him that he lacked one thing, to sell all his possessions and give it away to the poor, 
and come to follow him. And the Bible says that this young man, after hearing this, walked away from Jesus, sorrowful because he had many possessions. Now, verse 17 and 18. Notice that the man was on his knees, right? That's what we can see. And this is perhaps a sign of the desperation. On his knees, he came to ask a very particular question about inheriting eternal life. But look how Jesus answered him. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Now, Jesus replied with another question. And I believe this question reveals the understanding and the heart of this young man. He has not yet understood who Jesus was, really. And the question is, why did, did he call Jesus a good teacher? It was interesting for Jesus, actually. And uh, as he replied to him, only God is good. I believe Jesus is challenging this young man's view on righteousness and goodness. This young man approach to eternal life was this, what must I do to inherit eternal life? As if there is something you can do in order to obtain it. As if there was a chance to do enough good uh, to deserve the right to, to get eternal life. But let me ask you a question, friends. Um, what is God's standards? It is perfection. No man can perfectly keep God's standards of goodness and righteousness. Only God is good. This young man thought he could earn eternal life. Think about today's idea of heaven or eternal life, for example. If you ask anyone on the streets whether they will get to heaven or paradise, most of the time their answer will be yes, of course. And then you ask them why. They will span a little bit more on this and they will, they will say this. Because I'm a good person. I haven't killed anyone. Or I have uh, never robbed a bank. I give donations. I love my family and friends. Um, I do this and I do that. It's, about, it's all about what you do to deserve it. Right? But Jesus is saying, no one is good except God alone. Now, verses 19, he continues quoting him to, the, uh, to him the Ten Commandments, or at least some of them. And in verse 20, this man truly believed he has them, done them all. But notice this, Jesus has not mentioned all the Ten Commandments. He has, in fact, missed the first and most important commandment. The first one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You can read that maybe later in Deuteronomy 4. Um, but yeah, we don't have the time now. So um, why, did we, that, why did he miss the most important commandment then? We'll come back to, to this later. But that was the young, young man's answer. Even though the Bible teaches that there is no one good, not even one. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 3.23. And this young man fell, failed in the sense that he truly believed he was good enough. That he deserved eternal life. And we continue in verse 21. It says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And this word love refers to a compassionate 
uh, in a, in compassionate affection. Jesus was pleased regarding this young man's genuine desire to know what is required, or what is needed. And perhaps he will repent and, and come and follow him. But he lacked the most important commandment. As we can see in his reaction to Jesus' words, he wanted eternal life, but he was not willing to give up his present possessions and follow Jesus for the future treasures that comes with eternal life. So why did Jesus miss the first and most important commandment um, when he was quoting these commandments to him? Because this man loved what he possessed. He weighed up his love of his possessions against his love for God and his kingdom. And he went away. That's what the Bible says. And not just like he went away. He, he says, the Bible says that he went away disheartened and sorrowful. He actually had the gates of the kingdom of God open in front of him. Eternal life in front of him. But he went away. And can you see the difference uh, between the, the, this, this young rich man and the children? Who Jesus actually considered as the ones into the kingdom of God? Then what do, you, what do you think? Did the rich man get into the kingdom of God? Well, we don't know. But what we do know is that he went away from Jesus. Instead, toward, towards Jesus' arms like the children. And I guess these are two questions we could ask ourselves um, regarding this section of the scriptures. Is there anything I can do to be good enough to earn the kingdom of God? Am I truly willing to let go of my life, possessions, status, comfort, to follow Jesus into God's kingdom and receive eternal life? Those are good questions. Now we come to our last point and this is the disciples and the kingdom of god and this comes from verse 23 to 31. Um, just remember that all these events are happening one after the other and please have a look at, at it um, after uh, talking to the rich young man jesus looked around and he says to the disciples how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of god and when we come to these passages, we notice a couple of interesting things. First, let's look at Jesus' reaction following the discussion he had with the rich young man. That discussion causes Jesus to radically react um, and teach his disciples one more time about the kingdom of God. Remember, actions and then reactions. Secondly, notice that Jesus is not asking a question. The text uses exclamations. Have a look at verse 23 and 24. Instead of, yeah, question marks, he's using exclamations. Jesus is making a statement, emphasizing just how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. And let me give you an example. Maybe this is not, I'm going to hope that is a good example. But, um, when you say to your loved one, I'm, I'm Latin American, you know, I'm very romantic, so. <laughs> when you say to your loved one, 
how grave is my love for you? Yeah? We are not asking this person how big do we think our love is for them, right? But instead, we are emphasizing the greatness of our love. How great my love is for you. And this time, Jesus is emphasizing and teaching the disciples about the difficulty of those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Last part of verse 23. And this is very interesting because not just once, but twice. In verse 22, uh, 24 too, he uses the same statement, how difficult it is. Jesus is repeating this. And I'm telling you something. When Jesus repeats something, it's because it's important, right? But notice the words are similar, but it's slightly different. Different. In verse 23, he says, those who have wealth. But in verse 24, he says, more in general, right? How difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. And I believe, as everything in God's word, this emphasis is intentional. To the disciples' amazement, Jesus is saying, it's not just difficult for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, but for anyone who wants to enter it. As we believe in the Bible, teaches in John 3, um, 3 to 8, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this only by God's spirit. It's a miracle in the heart. In verse 24, Jesus actually says how difficult it is. He uses the example of a camel passing through the eye of a needle. And friends, that is in fact impossible. Also for many Jews, I thought this example was a hyperbole. And I will tell you what is hyperbole. I'm just trying to be fancy with the word. Uh, but it's an exaggerated statement of claims or claim not meant to be taken literally. This is a very popular saying, right? The camel through the eye of a needle. Uh, but Jesus is not exaggerating here. He's saying how difficult it actually is to enter God's kingdom. It's here when all of us sincerely, sincerely agree with the disciples um, in asking, in verse 26 actually. He says, then who can be saved? If it's, if it's impossible, then no one. It is a hard truth. I recognized it. But it is true. You can't enter the kingdom of God unless a camel can go through a night of a needle. This is when Jesus looked at them and spoke into their hopelessness. Next verse. And he says, he said, with man it is impossible. But with God, for all things, uh, but with, well, not with God, for all things are possible with God. And this is our hope, friends. It has nothing to do with what human hands can do. But God and God alone can do. To enter the kingdom of God is impossible, but not with God. To enter the kingdom is to inherit eternal life. It is to be saved. And this only can make, make possible, God only can make this possible. So I said to you, don't look anywhere else. Don't look into yourself like many preachers nowadays, they said. This self-improvement thing. Or look into yourself. Try to work in yourself. You're not going to find it there. Look to the heavens. 
Come to God. Come to Jesus. Just like the children. And Jesus, with open arms, will welcome you. Finally, Luke verses 28 to 31. Peter said to Jesus, We left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, All these things you have left, you will receive again with persecution, in this time and the time to come in the eternal life. Friends, to follow Jesus is to enter the kingdom of God. To follow Jesus is to receive eternal life. And the disciples left all these things that they valued to follow Jesus. And each of us, in our own circumstances, have to evaluate the cost of following him. To follow Jesus, my dear friends, is not an easy thing. You might lose friendships, perhaps, reputation, fame, possessions, etc. But I'll tell you something. You will receive eternal life with all you need for the sake of his gospel. And then, look what he says in verse 31. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. In biblical times, people believed that the most religious people and the most important will be first into the kingdom of God. Uh, for example, the, the ones at the front uh, at the service of the temple, uh, like the Pharisees, the doctors of the law, and the priests, were at the front of the line into the kingdom of God as well as the people that enjoy a prosperous life with great possessions. People really, indeed, they really believed that um, God was with them all because they were prosperous, because God blessed them, right? But no one will think such a thing about the children or the least of the society. So friends, are you first at the queue into the kingdom of God in God's eyes or men's eyes? And in these verses, we could read God's perspective of those who are first. The ones he calls his children. Have a look at verse 24. What does Jesus say to his disciples? He says, children. Now, do you know what is very interesting? That the same word that is used in verse 24, children, is the same word in Greek in verse 14. To those who are willing to be like children, dependent and humble, understanding that we cannot bring something to deserve it, but to let go and to follow Jesus now and to the age to come, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you because we have learned today, Lord, that um, those that are unexpected, uh, even um, when we look at to the world and we see all these people, we think they might be blessed by you. They are in your kingdom. But it's not about it. It's about to be humble and come to you and follow you like the disciples did. It's not about what we can uh, see with our, with our eyes, but what you see, Lord. And we learn, Lord, that we need that heart. 
a heart of children, the heart of the children. And just pray, Lord, that you give us that heart so we can follow you and praise your name in this, in this time, in this present time and the, the, through the age to come. And we pray all these things in your name.